So let's look at the Gospel of Luke together today. Wait, before you, you can get your Bible. Before you do that, when all you came in this morning, you were given a dollar bill, right? Put that on your lap somewhere. Do not open it. I know some of you are going to completely disobey the, the instructions of the ushers. You already opened it. I know that um, because you just can't handle You're the person who has to read the end of the mystery before you start. But don't open it. So take that thing. It's sealed up and just set it on your lap for now, okay? Anybody not get one? When you came in, if you didn't, raise your hand. We have some people over here, ushers have them. If you didn't get a, oh, all over the place. If you didn't get one when you came in over here too, just keep your hands up. They're on every section, Steve, so he'll get them to you. I'll start talking. Just as you see Steve walking around, get his attention, and he will get you a dollar bill. But don't peek inside. Just keep it on your lap for right now. So today, we're going to be looking at Luke 19, And in this chapter, um, Luke is carrying through the same um, theme that he had in Luke 18. Um, And it was this idea of Jesus teaching, how do we live in the period of time that we find ourselves in right now, the period of time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. We called it last week, the in-between. How do we live in the in-between? What does it look like to live the kind of life that Jesus says Um, we should live as his followers in the in-between. And in particular, in chapter 19, Jesus is going to use the use of money, don't open it, um, as a way of helping us see what his followers' lives should be about during this period of time as we live in the in-between. He's going to start by telling us about a guy that gets saved, he aligns his life with Jesus, his name is Zacchaeus, and that the way we know he's come in a right relationship with Jesus, he doesn't say it's because he started going to church. He didn't say because he stopped swearing. It says clearly the way people knew that his conversion was real is because he became generous with his money. And then Jesus tells a parable about a nobleman, and it's a story. It's a parable, remember. It didn't really happen, but he's just telling a story to make a point. He tells a story about a nobleman who came to acquire a kingdom. Think of Jesus here. And he assigned his servants tasks to do, gave them resources. He gave them actually money to do the tasks. And then he came to see later what they had accomplished with what he had given them. And again, Jesus uses money to make the point. So let's read the text and discover what Jesus is telling us about how we should live our lives in the in-between as we wait for his return and what would money have to do with it. See, Jesus is intensely practical. Some of you say, oh, is he talking about, look, he's talking about giving my money away. Not at all. Jesus is going to say, I can help you understand how you should live your life right now. And one of the ways I can help you figure that out is by looking at um, that green stuff. So so let's read verse 19, starting in verse 1, and I'm going to read all the way to 27. And when I looked at that this morning, I thought, oh, my Lord, I don't have any breath inside of me. It's a lot to read. (laughs) But bear with me as we go through. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. 
and Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and wasn't able to see because of the crowd, for he was, a, he was small in stature. Let me stop right there. I have a theory about Zacchaeus. can't be proven, but I think it's true. I think the reason Zacchaeus climbed the tree as a tax collector is because he was a friend of Matthew. I think Matthew came to Christ as a tax collector, and Matthew affected all his tax collector friends, and this guy Zacchaeus, who's a rich tax collector, says, hey, here's that Jesus guy. i got to see him, but he's a little short guy. He couldn't see, so he's climbing up a tree. It's verse 4. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him. Now, that shows something. He's got a real passion to figure out who this Jesus is, for he was about to pass through that way. Verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he heard and came down and received him gladly. When they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. When Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone, which he was a tax collector, so he defrauded many people, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Verse 11, While the same thing going on, while they were listening, the same crowd there, Zacchaeus and the crowd, Listening to these things, Jesus went on to tell a parable. Here's why. Because he was near Jerusalem, and they supposed that the kingdom of God was going to appear immediately. Remember, he's talking about that there's a gap between his first coming and his second coming. They thought it's all going to happen right now. So he tells a story about, no, it's not going to be right now. And it's going to be, how do you live in the in between? So verse 12. So he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself, and then return. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, and a mina is about a hundred days' wages, so about um, three years' wages, ten minas, do business with this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, He ordered those slaves to whom he had given the money to be called to him so that they might know what business they had done. And the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made ten more minas. And he said to him, Well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little thing. You are to be in authority over ten cities. The second came saying, Your mina, Master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, and you will be over five cities. Another came saying, Master, here is your mina, which I kept put away in a nap, in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you because you are an exacting man. You take up what you do not lay down and you reap what you do not sow. And he said to him, By your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man taking up what I did not lay down and reaping what I do not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, Take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten. When they said to him, Master, he has ten minas already. I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. 
But to the one who does not have, even what he does not have will be taken away. But these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slay them in my presence. So first of all, let's get the setting straight here. Jesus is going through this big crowd, and he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree, and he calls him down and says, let's go to your house. And remember, Scripture doesn't tell us the whole story. This event probably took place over maybe, who knows, maybe it was an hour of time. We don't know. Maybe it was longer. But he just says, Jesus says, let's go to your house. He calls him down, and Zacchaeus, somehow in the exchange, maybe because of what he knew from Matthew in advance, we don't know, somehow becomes a follower of Jesus in this exchange. And the evidence of his changed heart is that he gives half his money to the poor and promises to repay four times as much to anyone that he had cheated previously. Now, as this is going on, the interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus, the crowd is still around, and they're still following Jesus, and they're still listening to what he says. And just maybe because um, everyone was so shocked by Zacchaeus' conversion, you know, in addition to the fact that they had been seeing all the other miracles that Jesus had been doing, but somehow the crowd um, is concluding, hey, this Jesus guy is probably really the Messiah, and they think he's going to go to Jerusalem and establish the physical, political kingdom of God right then. But to help them understand that he's not going to do he's not going to go into Jerusalem and start the kingdom right then, he tells them a story about a king who leaves for a while and then returns in order to see them, and then when he returns, he sees what they did while he was gone. What we see from Jesus in this, in this section here, remember, these are not isolated things. The reason we're reading this together is the story of Zacchaeus and then the parable are all together. And what we see in the story in the parable is a progression of thought from Jesus. He leads the people from this encounter with, with Lazarus through an intentional story in a progression of thought, in order to get them to come to some right conclusions. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to follow this progression of thought so that we can come to the right conclusions ourselves. So let's look at the progression of thought. The first thing in a progression that I think is important is this, is that the kingdom of God has a very particular objective. Remember, as Jesus is coming, they thought he's going to establish the kingdom now. And he's saying, well, let me explain to you, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God, that when you come to Christ, you come into the rule and reign of God, so you are now living in the kingdom. If you are a born-again follower of Jesus, you live in the kingdom, and everywhere you put your foot, you establish the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God has a particular objective. Look at verse 10. It says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus is talking about why he exists in the kingdom, what the kingdom is all about. He says the business of the kingdom, because Jesus is the king of the kingdom, he's saying, I'm the king of the kingdom, I'm establishing my kingdom. It's not, he's going to explain, it's not fully consummated yet, but as I establish my kingdom, and I'm going to establish it right now over Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is coming into the kingdom, that the objective 
of my kingdom, the particular objective, the primary objective of the establishment of my kingdom after people coming into the kingdom and living in relationship with the king is that the Son of Man, Jesus, the King of the kingdom, has come to seek and to save that which is lost. The business of the kingdom, once you come in relationship with the king, the business of the kingdom is seeking and saving people who are lost. And so what happens here, he starts by reminding them and us of the most essential reality in all the world. And sometimes we forget this, and it's easy to forget this. And I think they forgot it, so that's why he's reminding them that the most essential element of the world is that people are lost without having a saving relationship with Jesus. And the mission, the business of those in the kingdom, priority one after our relationship with God is to be seeking and saving that which is lost. Just like Zacchaeus. All people must come to Jesus for salvation. And the business of the kingdom is making that happen. That's Jesus' starting point in his progression. But then he takes it from there and he moves forward. What's the next point he makes following in the progression? It's this. He says, Jesus saying this, Jesus, the king, is here now. He's going to leave, but he's going to come back. So for us, we have a little more perspective. For them, Jesus was still there, but he's writing this not for them only, but also for us. And he's saying, listen, the king of the kingdom, Jesus, is, he's, he's gone for a while, but he's going to come back. Now, we don't know when. It could be today. We don't know. Jesus could, have come, could return today, but it might be in 50 years, and it might be in 5,000 years. We just don't know, but the reality is Jesus is returning. And look at the progression. Look at verse 12. He tells this, this parable to take them on a progression of thought. He says, my kingdom is to seek to save the lost. Verse 12, he said, a nobleman went to a distant country to receive a kingdom for himself and then to return. He's saying, I'm going away. I'm coming back. Remember, Jesus is telling this parable to make a point. He wasn't going to fully establish his kingdom over all the earth and all people at that time, but he would at a future time, he would come back. So what does he want us to take from this idea that he's coming back? Well, I think it's this, that we living in the in-between need to live in a state of expectation. Just think of this one question today. We really wouldn't have to go any further than this today. We could just stop there. What if Jesus was to return today? What if instead of the, the coming of Christ being imminent, when, when it, it's, it mean, imminent meaning it could happen right now, but we don't know when, what if instead you all got a text message from God today that says, hey, good news, I'm letting you know in advance, I'm coming at noon. What if that happened today? That we got a text message, because it could be. I mean, he's not going to do the text message, but he could come at noon today. What would happen if Jesus returned today? Would you be comfortable with the reality that Jesus is coming today? Would you be settled and stayed and go, praise God, I've been waiting for this moment for so long, Maranatha, even so come Lord Jesus? Or would knowing that Jesus was coming today put fear in your heart because you go, you know what, I'm just not ready to meet him. I'm not really, I'm, I, I don't want to stand before him right now. How would we live with a sense of expectation? So Jesus is saying this in his progression of thought, my business is to seek and save the lost. Understand, friends, I'm going to come back. So live in expectancy. And what's the next point of his progression of thought? 
It's this. Now, now follow the progression before you go, well, that's disjointed. It's not. His progression is very intentional. The next point of his progression of thought is this. Our lives, your life, my life, are filled with treasures. I would say this. He would say, our lives are treasures. Look at verse 13. And he called ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas and said to them, do business with this until I come back. God gives treasures to his people. He gives treasures, he gives gifts to all of us. You've heard it said, you know, our time, our talents, um, our abilities, our resources, everything we have are all gifts from God. Everything is a gift from God. And I want you to just think about it in a very easy way to gather, to, to grasp it this morning. Who enjoyed worship today? If you didn't, you weren't alive. I enjoyed it and I'm brought to you by Dayquil. Think of what was required to put this on today. It's not a performance. If you tell these guys they're performing, they, will, they might punch you in the nose or at least kick you in the knee because they fight that idea that they're performers. They're worshipers. They're worshipers. But how are they worshipers? I always tell Suzanne this. I said, she's, she's our chief worshiper. And I always said, refer to this as, she's the gift, they're the gifted ones to help the ungifted ones worship. It's a very biblical concept that on our worship team, such amazing gifts. People who can sing. But, you know, I've, I've said this to you so many times before that you say, well, Pastor Mike sales time. It makes no sense that you can stand behind this keyboard. If you could see what I'm seeing right now when I was watching Mitch before church, how do you read music that it tells you this hand plays one thing, this hand plays another thing, and then you read words at the same time that say another thing. So you're doing three things. Mine, you're tall. Three things at one time. I'm telling you, you can't just try hard enough to do that. It's a gifting. Now, gifts are worked on, but you have to have the gift first. But who can stand here and sing? And so when I listen to it, because all we hear about is music in our home because Suzanne's a worship leader and Josh is a drummer and Brett's on the worship team doing the sound, and so it's constant conversation. I'm the, I'm the ungifted one. Um, and... But, like to say, okay, I can harmonize with this and I can sing that way and I'll sing this part over here. It's tons of energy and effort. It doesn't just happen naturally, but it all comes down to having ability. I was in a choir for years so I wanted to sing better. But you know what the problem with me being in a choir was? I can only sing what I can hear. So if you're standing next to me and you sing, if you're singing this part, I sing that part. If you're singing that part, I sing that part. But you're not supposed to do that in the choir. When you're, a, when you're the baritone, you sing the baritone part. But I would always hear the tenor, or I'd hear the whatever. I couldn't because I don't have the gifting. And so think of all the giftings. Playing a guitar, you know, playing the drums. We make jokes about drummers, Josh, right? You know, um, but I can't keep a beat. And most of you can't either. You think you can until we put you up here and you realize you can't. My kids have, at times in my life told me I had to stop clapping in church because I'd mess up the worship team. Because I clap on the wrong beat and I go on the right beat for a while and then I clap on the wrong beat for a while. You know, and I'm like most of you. You're great in the shower, but you wouldn't make it up here. 
here's the deal. This is an example. This is just giftings. Now, the gifts are worked on, but they don't stop here. They go back to our sound booth. Somebody has to mix this sound. You have no idea how much effort it takes to mix all of our sound to make it sound good. It takes a certain ear to hear that, a certain gifting to hear those sounds that are, to make them right. Um, to make all the words on the screens or make that stuff all work that you can follow along flawlessly. You don't even realize it's all happening. That's all giftings to do it. So to make this happen, it requires gifts. And, and God gave those gifts. Now, I don't have those gifts relating to worship, and I don't need to have those gifts because that's not what God asked me to do. God gave me other gifts, and he gave you gifts, but he gave us all gifts. And Jesus wants us to look at our lives and see the giftings that we have been given and to see those, the resources that we have. Just think about just simply think about the financial resources that we just have represented in this room today. Those are ultimately all gifts from God. And so the next thought in his progression, he wants to say, I've given gifts to my people. You're gifted. What's the next idea in the progression of thought then? Jesus gives these gifts so that we can use them for kingdom business, to accomplish kingdom activity. Think about those in the parable um, of whom were given the money from the noblemen. Think about it. What were they to do with what they were given? Go out and just do whatever they want with it? What would have happened if they stood before him and said, I gave you 10 minas. Hey, man, I went on a world cruise. It was awesome. Thank you, dude. No. What were they to do with what they were given? Do kingdom business. They were to do the business of the kingdom. They were to accomplish the activity of the kingdom with the resources, the gifts that they had been given. Now let's run back now for a second, right back to the beginning of the progression of thought. What was the business of the kingdom? To seek and to save that which was lost. So we are to use the resources we have been given to accomplish the business of the kingdom of seeking and saving the lost. So what's the next point in the progression? Look at verse 15. When he returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that those slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him so that he might know what business they had done. After the king's return, his servants will give an account for how they have been accomplishing the business of the kingdom. They will give an account for what, we will give an account for what we have done with what we have been given. Remembering that the resources we have have been given to us by God so that we could accomplish the work of his kingdom. So our wisdom, our strength, our intellect, our ability to work, our opportunities that are unique to us and our life energy all given so we can employ them in the activity of seeking and saving the lost. And Jesus is clear here. All his followers will give an account of what they have done with what they have been given. And I think it's interesting, for the most part it seems um, from the parable that if someone was intentional about using their resources for the kingdom, then it's going to be a joyous event. If you get made 10 minus, you got 10 cities. 5 minus 5 cities. You know, they got more than they expected. They didn't need to get anything. 
It was a, it was a, a, a wonderful event being given an account for what they'd done with what they'd been given. And also notice, it doesn't say at all how they use those resources. How, those, how they use their resources to affect people for the kingdom was based on the giftings they had. So you can't compare yourself to another person because you haven't given the same giftings. But the idea was, you're going to give an account for did you use the resources. And I think this is why it's especially important in a situation like we have where a bunch of us have been giving a lot of resources in many ways. Um, just because of opportunities that we have in a culture full of abundance, we will give an account for what we've done with the minas we've been giving. But that brings us to the next point in the process. What about someone who didn't engage in the business of the kingdom while the king was gone? We have one of those in the story, verse 21 to 24. For I was afraid of you, and remember, when Jesus is telling the story, you're going, wow, he describes himself really bad. He's not saying this character quality is going to be this, that's how God's going to act towards mankind. That he's just saying he gives a story about, about this king returning. So don't draw a parallel between this and the fact that the description of the, of the, of the uh, nobleman coming back is going to be like God is cruel and vicious. Um, but but um, he's just telling the story to get the point across. For I was afraid of you, Because you are an exacting man, you take up what you did not lay down, and you reap what you did not sow. He said to him, by your own words I will judge you, you worthless slave. Did you know that I am an exacting man, taking up what I did not lay down, and reaping what I did not sow? Then why did you not put my money in the bank? And having come, I would have collected it with interest. Then he said to the bystanders, take the mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And I think the thing to to point out here is that that... is important for us is this excuses won't work excuses work all the time in our lives now oh I won't do that I can't do that this came up that came up Jesus tells all kinds of parables of calling people to the banquet and they all have an excuse Um, I think we're really good at that in our in our world about making excuses for not doing the right thing because we want to choose something else. And I think the point he's making here is excuses won't work. It says that he'll, that the one who said, I made an excuse, well, this is the reason why I didn't use your resources for your business, um, will have, he says this, he'll have no reward. Elsewhere in Scripture, it talks about coming, under, coming to the judgment of believers and that um, they'll basically lose everything, but save, their soul will be saved. And I think that's a, this is a parallel to that idea. It says that he's not, he's not talking about losing salvation at all, um, because when you're saved, you're saved. Um, but he's talking about a loss of reward. Now, I'd say this. Scripture doesn't say much about this, but there certainly is an idea being communicated here about the idea of rewards in heaven and about the possibility of this idea of disappointment at that time. And I'm being honest with you, I'm not sure what that all really means because when I think of this idea of a new heaven and a new earth as the restoration of all things, this ultimate wonder of God and, and, and his amazing recreation of all things, just being there is going to be amazing. But Jesus is making a point here, and I think it's going to come before that time, there is this reality of loss. If we stand before him not having engaged in the business of the kingdom, of seeking and saving the lost according to the giftings that we've been given. So I think what, what we do with that is we do a reality check. You know, we say, God, you know, how am I, 
how am I doing in this area? It, could, it can motivate us to say, man, there's some, it's a positive motivation. The reason you put money in a retirement account, you're motivated to do it, is because you know someday I'm going to have to, I'm going to live off of that. I need that. that that's, it's good to do that. The motivation is I need that. But just think of this. Your retirement account's going to last that long. And eternity extends forever. And Jesus is trying to say, look at the forever. Look at the forever part of the picture here. But then look at the, la- the next section. Let's let the next point then motivate us even more than the possibility of loss. Because the possibility of loss only motivates you a little bit. But the possibility of, of, of abundance motivates you even more. Fruitfulness, the next point in the progression, fruitfulness now, or faithfulness rather, faithfulness now results in eternal blessings. Look at verse 26. I tell you that everyone who has, more shall be given. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have will be taken away. Everyone, first part of that sentence, everyone who has, more shall be given. If we engage in kingdom business, if we use our energy to seek and to save the lost, if we invest our resources to help others to come to know Jesus, if we invest our life energies to help others come to know that God loves them, we will receive abundant, eternal blessings when Jesus returns. And again, I don't know what those really are, and I don't think anybody does, and anybody who tries to preach a sermon about it or write a book about it, it's just conjecture. Because the Bible doesn't give a lot of clarity about it, but it sure alludes to it a number of times. But what a promise. Not for temporary blessings that fade away, but eternal blessings from Jesus for all of eternity. I can't imagine that we could imagine anything greater in all of our ability to to dream things up. Abundant blessings from God that last for eternity. And that's the promise to those who build their lives around engaging in kingdom activity today with the giftings that they've been given, investing their lives, their resources, their energy, their skill sets into seeking and saving the lost. Joining with Jesus on his mission. Now, Take your dollar out. Those little tabs will pull right off. Matter of fact, they've probably fallen off. And then open your dollar up. What's it say? How will I spend my life? And I think that's how he wants us to think about it. You've been given a life, it's a resource and there's resources in your life. And we, this is what I think he's trying to get us to think about. How will I spend my life? How will I spend my resources of my life? I think that's a question that we must ask. And then that's a choice <clears throat> that we must make. And here's what I know from this, this story and just all the story of the Bible It's a decision, a choice that no one can make for us. I can't make it for you. Engaging in the activity of the kingdom is up to you as a person and up to me 
as a person. Excuse making that we know won't work when we stand before God um, is a decision I make and you make. Am I going to make it just? Am I going to make a excuse for why I'm not doing what I really know in my heart God has asked me to do? Now I'm not saying Pastor Mark's going to put something in your heart. I'm saying the Spirit of God puts things in our heart all the time, and am I going to engage in those things with the resources He's given me to participate in the in the big picture of seeking and saving the lost, or am I going to make an excuse? That's an individual choice. And I'd say this, I'm not in any way trying to be overdramatic. Matter of fact, it came on a great Sunday, you know? I'm all Z-quilled up or all, what am I up? Day-quilled up. I'm not trying to be overly dramatic at all. I just want to be, I'm trying to be as honest with the text as I can be so that we're not disappointed later. See, because I think it's easy to live a life in a place of abundance where you're not disappointed for a long period of time because you can fill your life with all the abundance that's available to us. But there's a day coming when the master returns. And then the reality of the span of the in-between, how we've spent it, is going to be um, laid bare before the Lord. And he's not trickable. I can't fool him. And he'll know what excuses I made. And he's gracious. I'm not saying to take God gracious in this way, but he's just saying there is a reality, it's a connection between the blessing of the future and our using the resources, the spending of our life in the in-between. And I just want us to, I don't want us to be disappointed. I don't want us to walk up and go, but nobody told me. I don't want anybody to stand before the Lord and go, well, no one told me. I think we can stand before the Lord and go, it was pretty plain and obvious, but these were decisions I made because I was maybe living for the temporary instead of the eternal or just living for self. Now, there's nothing wrong with self, you know. We still have to kind of live um, he's not saying he's not saying sell all you have and give it to the, the poor. Um, but he is saying, are you using your, your energy, your resources, your abundance? You know, Hezekiah looked at it and said, I give away half my money to the poor, and if four times on anybody I've swindled, he's saying, you know what? I got way too much. And he's going, I'm going to use it for I'm going to use it for the for the advancement of the kingdom. I think that's what this is all about. So how will I spend my life? It's an honest question to ask ourselves. And that brings us to another question that may apply to some of us here, may not. <clears throat> Maybe you're here and you know you really aren't even, if you look in the story, you're not even in the group of people who are following the king. You're in that group who said, we hate the king. We don't want him to serve over, we don't want to serve him. Um... Remember the story, the king is representative of Jesus. They're saying, I'm not in his kingdom. I don't want to be in his kingdom. That there's literally billions of people on the planet today who say, I refuse to have Jesus as my king. 
Um, Lot don't even know it's an option. But Lot have said, no, I don't want Jesus as my king. But something might be happening inside your heart today. You're saying, you know what? I understand that I really need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus as my king. I want you to understand today is you can have Jesus as your king today. In John's gospel, he tells us this. He says, anyone, everyone who believes, the way of believing is aligns their life with Jesus will have eternal life. It means that you'll stand there before him eternally going to heaven in the new heavens and the new earth, if you align your life with Jesus now, that's the promise of your life. Then you live in the kingdom during this whole period of time. He says, and I'll raise them up um, when he returns. After this time of the in-between, when he returns, he'll raise you up. And so you've not ever asked Christ into your life, which isn't as simple. It's not just saying, oh, I just want to add Jesus on top. It's actually coming to the point in your life where you say, no, I need him to be king and I, I need to put myself under his rule and reign. And then if you say that, that means that then I'm going to live my life, even though you know all the ramifications of that today because it changes, it, it affects every day differently as we think of how would I live under the rule and reign of Jesus. But it's saying I'm going to live under his rule and reign and that when he shows me how I'm going to live and should live, I'm going to say yes to that. And that's not always easy, but it's always best and always right. But I'm going to say yes to that. And there's some of us even in here who may have been in church for a long time, and you're really in a spot where you've, you've, you, know, you, you say, yeah, I, I believe. But believing is aligning yourself with it. Believing is saying, beyond just saying I, with words I acquiesce, but it's my heart I'm saying I'm all in so that Jesus is, his rulership, his reign is here, and I'm under and when he says this, he says, Mark, do this, I say, I will, Lord. Because you can't say, always people say it's impossible to make the statement, no, Lord. Because if he's Lord, I have to say yes. Now, what he asked me to is always for my best. And so maybe today you're saying, I need to come under his rulership. Because you can look at your life and go, as I look at how I'm spending my life, there's little evidence of the fact that I'm saying yes to him. Let's pray together this morning. Father, um, your word is a gift. Lord, it is. Your word is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. And today you're shining a light into our lives, um, Lord, in a really practical way a way of um, helping us look at ourselves in a very, almost like an, an analytical way because we can, we can look at money, we can hold it in our hand as something tangible, and we can think about how is it being spent. And Lord, this isn't just about money, but it's about the resources of our life. And, and you're, you're, I think you're helping us to see today. If we're living in the in-between with you as our ruling, reigning king, then all those resources we understand first and foremost belong to you. And we, we offer them up to you. We willingly say, you show us how to use them and we'll use them for your glory. 
And Lord, some in here, you've given great resources of abilities. They can play instruments and they can, they, or some have great resources because they have abilities to make money or some have incredible hearts of, of, of care for people. And Lord, in all those things, we offer them up to you as we live under your rule and reign in the in-between. And Lord, we, we ask you, would you show us, Father, how you want us to invest your resources into your kingdom activity, our life energy, our talents, the very resources we can hold in our hands, our homes. Are you asking us to bring someone into our home? Are you asking us to, to bring in a foster child? Because it's your resource, it's your home, it's our life. Are you asking us to, to bring in a foster child? Like we looked at the Menths with, their, uh, with Isaac how they brought him in, Lord. I don't know. Are you asking us, Lord, to, uh, to uh, invite an a, 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 a aging parent into our home with our resources? Lord, they're all, it's all our resources. What are you asking us to do? Help us, Lord, to learn how to say yes, Lord, quickly. Lord, help us to see that, that every day we make the choice how we will spend our life. And Lord, I pray for this congregation that every one of us, it'd be, we'd be like that representation in the story that we get before you on your return and you say, what have you done with what I've given you? And you look and you go, my goodness, you're over 10 cities. You're over 20 cities. Whatever that looks like, Lord, I, think, I don't think it's really about ruling a city as much as it's about, about an a a idea of being having positions and situations of, of wonder and authority and goodness in your kingdom, your eternal kingdom. Lord, my prayer is that every one of us stand in that day and not ever have to hang our head. Now, Lord, I also know there could be some in this room who've never yet said yes to you never asked you into their lives they've never surrendered the, the throne of their heart they said I'm God yeah maybe I'll add religious on, religion on this top Lord you didn't ask us to be religious you didn't ask us to add religion you invited us into a relationship that's the, that's the relationship that's always existed you're God, you're the creator, you're the ruler of all and mankind has had this crazy idea that we could run off our own direction and not need you. And it's turned into a disaster on planet Earth because of it. Hatred and violence, everything that's opposed, abuse, everything that's opposed to your goodness, all because we said we don't need you as Lord. Well, Lord, in a little way we can reestablish that one person at a time by saying yes and coming under your rule. Saying yes, I want Jesus as my Savior and Lord. This morning as we're praying, as your heads, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, a private moment. Maybe you're hearing you say, Pastor Mark, I am ready to say yes to Jesus, and I mean it. I am ready to say I'm all in with Jesus, not halfway. I've been halfway, or maybe I've been a tenth of the way, but I know I need to go all the way in. And 
you know that not because of my convincing words. You know that because something's happening inside of your heart right now. There's a compulsion to say, this is what I need. That compulsion is the activity of the living Holy Spirit who is in this place and operating in your life right now and calling you into his loving family but it requires you leaving your own self-ruled life and if you're saying I'm ready to say yes I'm all in with Jesus just in a private moment right now I want you to do something between you me and God because no one else is looking around I just want to see who to pray with just slip up your hand when you put it up okay you can put it down anybody else Raise up your hand, all right. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, you've seen our response to those hands that have been lifted today, Lord. In the quietness of this moment, show each one Right now, for those who've raised your hands, just in your heart, that voice in your heart, your mind, I want you to say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Be the Lord and Savior of my life. Father, I thank you that you're doing a wonderful work in hearts this morning. And Lord, now I invite you, we invite you, if there's anything as we processed through this progression of thought that you lay out in Luke 19, if there's any business you want to do with us as individual people, we don't want to leave until we've said yes to that. So church, in just a moment, Pastor Mitch is just going to play something, sing something. And I invite you, if the Lord is dealing with you positively, negatively, if there's no negative when God deals with you, but God, the Lord is dealing with you, spend a few minutes allowing him to speak to you and you responding. When you feel dismissed by the Spirit, you can go, but I invite you, come spend some time praying at the altar. Spend some time allowing the Spirit of the Lord to just settle this into our hearts.